Today's show is brought to you by WarbyParker.com. Get a free five-day home try-on at www.WarbyParkerTrial.com slash HoldyBackboard. Five pairs, five days, 100% free. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's All right, everybody, welcome to the 52nd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling, man. I'm just excited the basketball's back, bro. It's been two or three weeks of just solid basketball watching for me. My voice has gotten a lot more hoarse after the, the – for some reason, I can't watch games quietly when I'm by myself anymore. It's just what, got, what are you yelling at? Like, what what causes you to just get out of your seat and just yell, either angrily or you're, you're just super stoked? What is it? Bad defense, bad defense. This is awful. I feel like as I've grown older, I, I do kind of have that old man get off my lawn approach when watching basketball with, with Olga or by myself, and it's I'm usually sighing at the lack of our big men putting a hand up when they're defending the pick and roll or not boxing out. Lack of switching. I will say this, and we'll get to this game later on in the podcast. When CJ did Parsons dirty like that, I was out of my seat and I was just praying that basketball went in. Uh, When is that dude going to realize he should have signed with the Trailblazers instead of just being a reoccurring highlight on all of our reels? Well, was he high on what you wanted the Blazers to have uh, what I wanted, yeah. absolutely not. But Neil O'Shea, oh, he was the he was the smitten. Guy. I just, I just, he hasn't played over seventy games since like his first two seasons. It wasn't attractive to me to have a guy that's another injury prone player. It was nice to see him have a, a poor shooting night, uh, to say the least. I know it was his first game back from injury, but with all of the the hubbub about Evan Turner and he not and he, him not fitting in as well or as quickly as many would have had liked. It was nice to see Neil's first option not do so hot. On the other hand, it's like, whoa, Neil, these are your two two first options in free agency. Um, what's going on there? Again, that's it's not as black and white as that made it seem because Hassan wasn't coming here. We rumors are we tried to get Dwight and Chandler packaged. Who knows? Al Horford wasn't coming here. KD wasn't coming here. So it's hard to say. I mean, we had money. We had to spend it. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's give Evan a little bit of time. But speaking of Evan Turner, I noticed while watching these games, I think it was the Dallas game, and it might have been because we had just gotten our ass kicked by the Warriors, had lost a heartbreaker to the Suns on one of the most flukiest shots. That was such bullshit, bro. I can remember seeing. And we're struggling against the winless Mavs, and I was going to – I was going to get pretty pissed if we had given the Suns and the Mavericks their first win of the season. And Dirk was out the second half. They didn't have Bogut. And the Mavs were still hanging around with us. We weren't getting any production from our bench. And Turner's just getting so sloppy with the ball. And a lot of Boston fans that I read like kind of warned us. Like, he's boom or bust. Like, he's going to make a spectacular play. And then he's going to make a knucklehead play. So he's kind of could- got that Lance Stevenson in him where he makes a good play and then actively makes three bad plays after that. He just tries to force the ball into windows that really aren't there for NBA defenses. And 
I, I, again, I'm still firmly solid on the signing. I thought he was one of the better options given what was out there and am willing to give him more time. Hell, we're only, what, seven games into the season. So it's not time to throw in the towel or time to switch anything up. But at the same time, you do want to see some improvement. And uh, I was watching uh, Dane's, Dane Carbaugh, his, his YouTube show, The Rewind, and he was talking about how he isn't unimpressed with Evan Turner's offense lately. It was his defense that kind of gave him pause for concern. And I have to agree, that's one of the big selling points on Evan Turner is he was supposed to pro- provide perimeter defense. And he's had flashes here and there, but I haven't seen that lockdown ability that we were promised. And I know he's not Tony Allen. I know he's not Kawhi Leonard on the perimeter, but I would have expected this, him to be our best perimeter defender. And I think he's getting there. Um, he had a, an amazing play in the fourth quarter against the, the Memphis Grizzlies. Zach Randolph and Marcus Lowell were just going to work on us down on the block. We were not sending a double team. They had no shooters on the floor. I was screaming at the TV, Terry, send the double. Turner finally probably goes off on his own just kind of hedges a little bit here and there and gets Zach to throw the ball out of bounds. It was a play that really swung momentum into our favor and allowed us to go down and score and really put that gap that we needed to beat the Grizzlies. And that's what I want to see from Evan Turner. He didn't score a bucket that game. And to be honest with you, that's fine. That's not his role. Yeah, we don't need him to score. He had so many great extra passes, especially cross-court to Crab for the three. Um, I think he might have hit Myers for a three as well. Um, that's what we need out of Evan Turner. The ball definitely wasn't sticking in his hands like it was every other game. He was a very willing passer. He was spreading the ball around, which is what Blazer offense is about, is making the defense work, get you know out of position, and then attack. Yeah, that's what we need from Evan Turner, just to, just to sprinkle in stats across the board, kind of like what Batum used to get for us. You know, You get a couple of blocks, a couple of steals, a few rebounds, you know, six assists, a couple points, like just be a a stat stuffer and and all across the board. And I think Portland will really benefit from that because I know we were having a a text conversation last night about Harrison Barnes. And I was like, man, he is actually looking pretty good. He had 34 against the Bucks. Somehow he's playing better as the man than as a guy who's getting wide open shots with the Warriors. I, I don't know how that can be the case. But for whatever reason, maybe his mindset changed that he had to put the team on his back and he's looking good. And we kind of debated just like who would be the better fit in Portland had those had been the options because Barnes was a restricted free agent early. Durant agreed to go to Golden State, which meant they had to give up his rights and he was now unrestricted. So theoretically, Portland, if they had waited or had made him a pitch early on, could have signed Harrison Barnes with, with their money. So it's just kind of an interesting question, hypothetically, to, to put out there, like, who would you rather have? Harrison Barnes or Evan Turner and we were both probably leaning a little towards Barnes but what gave me pause is Turner I think is or Barnes excuse me replicates a lot of what we have already in a Mo Harkless and an Alan Crabb yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't sign re-sign Harkless if you had Barnes on the table I mean it would have flipped the, the entire offseason around if we had Barnes instead of E.T. so it really is like E.T. Harkless Zeely or Barnes so what would you rather have? Yeah, and then you look at Evan Turner, and he's a better defender. He's probably a better distributor. He's a better ball handler. And we haven't seen it yet enough, but he can get to the rack and take it to uh, take it to the hole and finish in traffic. So overall, I've been very firm on the Evan Turner bandwagon. I 
will honestly say I got frustrated with him over the course of these these four games just because he's a better player than he's shown. And Were you frustrated that last game? Because I wasn't. Not last game, okay. but the, the previous three games um, and over the course of the rest of the season, a little bit frustrated. Like It was taking a little too long to incorporate him and... I think as fans, we try to find a scapegoat, whether it's, whether it's Myers or it's been LaMarcus in the past. I mean, Nick Batum's been a scapegoat. Hell, Luke Babbitt's been a scapegoat. There's always one he player. He shining in Miami as a starting power forward. I mean, there's there's always one player or event that will define a season for the Trailblazers fan base. I mean, it, it's like death, taxes, and who is who are the fans going to blame this year? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was obviously the Evan Turner signing. It was the most controversial thing we did in the offseason. And, you know, I'll admit, I was still firmly on it, but I was getting a little frustrated with him, and I wanted to see a little bit more, just a little improvement. Um, but I think that was more just from the overall sense I was getting from the team. And it was just, we're, we're better than what we showed before that Dallas game. You know, we're looking at two and three. Um, you know, they had the meeting. Um, then Mo Harkless spoke up after that. But Dame was just like, that's great. People are talking about we need actions. Actions speak louder than words. And they, they finally they, they finally responded. This is a thought process that hasn't worked its way up to being solid yet, but I'm just going to say it here so no one else can say it. The positive things that happened in the last... Uh, this season so far, Dame being good, but the negatives, he doesn't have enough help. But once the help comes, we're not going to see that stellar play from Dame just because CJ is going to get the shots. Everybody's going to be more involved in the team, and Dame's going to, just by the teammates playing better, Dame's not going to play as well. So I just want to warn everybody that once one good thing happens, something negative could happen, and that prob- the negative thing will be probably Dame not having as stellar of stats. Yeah, I th- yeah, I, th- I was going to say, like, playing well in stats are two different things. I think his play has been amazing and will continue to be amazing. His stats will likely drop. I and mean, we saw in the, in the, the Memphis game, CJ gets uh, 37 points. We rode the hot hand. Dame ended up with 19, mostly based upon – him getting to the line, I believe, 11 times and, and hitting all 11. That, that injury, the, the, the finger and then the ankle, kind of scared me. I'm, I, I kind of didn't want to see him on the court that much after those injuries. But it was also good that he was able to play, and it wasn't serious enough that he had to go off. So in a sense, I felt relieved that, okay, he was playing. He wasn't um, laboring through anything. Mm-hmm. But before we dive too deep in, into the victory in Memphis, let's kind of go back in reverse. We had a four-game week. I believe I picked three and one. You picked three and one. Boy, was I wrong about one game. You only got one game right this week, didn't you, Sage? No, the, uh, the, the Dallas. Dallas game, yeah. I got two right. Um, unfortunately, I got the Golden State Warriors <laughs> game right. Um, buddy, that, that was uh, – we're not going to – touch on this game too long because it was a 127-104 victory from the Warriors. And to be honest, it wasn't that close. Jake Lehman came in, shot the shit out of the basketball, had five triples um, in eight minutes, 17 points, and was really the only shining light in that game. Uh, Dame had 31, but nobody else really did a whole lot of anything. CJ had 16 on 12 shots, which isn't too bad, but it just didn't 
feel like we were ever going to win that. I mean, game. I, I think the, the turning point point was when Steph was hitting those trays in the third quarter. I you kind of, I kind of felt like for me, what was it? Was is immediately when Damian Lillard went out of the game. We were up seven, looking good. Dame goes out, then they go up six. I'm just like, no. I'm because, I'm used to that. But you can't do that against the Warriors, especially this Warriors team when they're loaded with four All-NBA players. But before we move on to the next game, I do want to say something about this Warriors team. If I am an opponent, I want Kevin Durant shooting the basketball and being the first option rather than Steph Curry. Curry scares the shit out of me. Durant, yes, I know he's a Hall of Fame player, and on any other team, he is the one. He's the dude. Mm. But if I'm given the choice between the Warriors running their offense between one guy or the other, I'm praying they let KD do it because he's just not the shooter that Steph is. Steph just throws up ridiculous shit that you can't guard and it goes in. Yeah, so we'd rather take the A shooter than the A plus plus shooter. Yeah, eh. I mean you got if you're picking your poison, I'm, I'm picking KD's poison. I mean, Clay Thompson's been playing pretty awful this year. Do you think, and this is just a hypothetical, I've been talking about this with my other uh, Blazer buddy at work. Do you have other Blazer buddies? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we were just hoping that either it's Draymond kicking dudes in the nuts or you know getting suspended, or maybe it's Clay Thompson getting a little upset that he's not getting the looks that he was getting or the amount of shots he was taking last year, that they might cause some disrupt in the Golden State locker room. I'm really hoping Thompson stays cold and he sees Harrison Barnes continue to light it up and it's like, hmm, that was me my whole career in Golden State. Now all of a sudden I have to take a backseat to Durant. Why? We had won a championship the year before, took the Cavs to, or the Cavs took us to game seven of the finals uh, last year. We were perfectly fine as a team. Why did we need this guy? So I hope that starts to creep into their locker room. Do you think that has any chance of happening? Well, we are recording during the Pelicans Warriors game. Clay Thompson has taken 18 shots and uh, 10 for 18 for 21 points. So at least he's getting his shots. I don't, I don't, I don't think that will affect them that much because he does get shots. He gets minutes. They just haven't been going into the hole. But I'm still, I'm, st- I still, I'm still holding out a little bit of hope. Fuck the Warriors. Yes, this is your weekly Fuck the Warriors. So if you're listening at home, listening at work, yeah, you might want to put those headphones in. Maybe mouth it with us as well. Honestly, we could start like a Fuck the Warriors chat. <laughs> but moving on to the game that really hurt the Blazers this road trip was the Phoenix Suns. And it was a 118 115 loss in overtime it gave the suns their first win of the year and sage if the game's tied and the opponent has the last shot especially on the suns i am praying that eric Bledsoe, Bledsoe, yeah takes a fadeaway 25 footer from the wing uh, i wasn't upset that we lost that game i'm like oh that's a one in ten shot right there a one in 20 shot yeah i mean it's just the breaks of the game mm-hmm. you win some you should lose and you lose some you should win Case in point, with the Denver Nuggets game a couple Saturdays ago, we had no business winning that game. We had no business losing this game. We had no business losing this game. I know Phoenix has been a tough place to play for us over the course of, feels like forever, but especially recently. And we're actually going to play the Suns uh, tomorrow night on Election Day. 
but we'll preview that game later. Let's talk about this one, Sage. What stood out to you most? I know for me it was just the bench scoring for, for Phoenix. We gave up 44 points to the bench. I know we got 39 from our guys, which is good, but... Alex Len was just a fucking beast. You cannot let Alex Len get 18-6 and six in 21 minutes. Did he you was... see, were you on Twitter that game a lot? Mm-hmm. Did you see the people saying, well, you need to put a big on Len to stop him on that second unit? I mean, I... You know what? My, like, we put a big out there. Myers Leonard. How many points did Alex Lund get? 18. 18. In 21 minutes. This dude didn't get re-signed, didn't get an extension from the Suns, and we're worried about him on the second unit? Throw Noah Vonley in. If he, he, he's not going to do that much worse on defense against Alex Len. He just plain and simple isn't. But we kept Myers in there to play defense? No, the, the, the only thing Myers did in that game to help us was spread them out a little and I guess that assist and the, the game winner that was mostly Mace's pass. Yeah, Mace needs to be the one taking out all of our out-of-bounds pass. I was even telling that to Olga because we had to call timeout before because Alan Crabb was actually throwing it inbounds. And I was thinking that we had in the past, especially under Scott's, we have a difficult time inbounding the ball in pressure situations. We, in fact, lost a few games last year in those in those type of end-of-the-game scenarios. Mason Plumley showed that, one, he's probably our second or third best passer on the team. Two, he's got the height to see over the de- defense. Exactly. And three, he's done it before. We saw it in Denver. So why not go back to that well? Thankfully, Terry put him in, and he delivered, but he should have been in there from the start because if we didn't have a timeout, Lord knows what would have happened. The game probably doesn't even go into overtime. We don't even get a look. They probably steal the ball. So hopefully Stotts keeps that in the back of his mind and keeps Mason Plumley in there. Um, Did Vonley get I, a single? Was he a D, uh, DNP? There we go, DNP. Vonley? Yeah. He did not play that game. I just want to I want to see what he could do against Biggs. We, if he's going to be the the power forward of the future potentially, we at least need to see what he can do against Alex Len or other bummy Biggs in the NBA. Well, any listener of this podcast knows that both of us have a man crush on Ed Davis. We have since we signed him. We love Ed, but he has really struggled extremely uh, big time. I don't know how else to put it this season. He's averaging just 2.3 points, four boards, um, and not even a block per game. But uh, to be fair, almost everybody but Damian Lillard struggled for most of the season. I would agree, but every other player has had their moments this year. We have not seen any bright spot from Ed Davis, really. He has lost his ability to, to finish in traffic. He's not – I mean, we'll touch on this later, but – He's not getting those offensive rebounds and those second-chance points. Those Kobe assists that we touched on last year, they're, they're not just happening. And I don't know what it is. He did put on extra weight. Maybe that's slowing him down. Do you think it's a scheme? How many people – I guess this is a thing you and I will have to work look at the next week. Do we crash the boards as heavy as we did last year? Or is like the scheme to run back on defense all of the spurs so there's a set defense to give up points to? 
that is definitely a great point. I'll, I'll be watching that as we play the Phoenix Suns because we need to crash the glass against the Phoenix Suns. That was the reason we lost the game. Um, Did Tyson get busy that game? I've watched the Suns so often. So busy that game. Tyson Chandler had six points, 18 boards in just 28 minutes. Overall, the Suns out-rebounded us 59-53, to 53, uh, 14 to 10 on the offensive glass. We could not keep them off the glass. And that was such a strong point for us last year. And we brought back everybody, essentially. Maybe no it's big, a scheme thing. I, I don't get it, though. Is it a scheme thing? I mean, why would you change that, though? That, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why would you? Rebounds are good. Second chance points are great. Um, it's not like we're giving up a whole lot fewer points than than last year either. So well, the the Spurs don't get many offensive rebounds because they want to have that set defense, but they have a scheme and players that trust each other, so they actually can play defense with this like off off misses. We don't as, have that. As good as our offense is, though, the Spurs are on another level with their system. Mm-hmm. So that's I mean they take care of the ball too. Another thing Portland really struggles with is turnovers. And I swear every time I watch a Blazer game, they could be up. feels like every time this year we've given up a double-digit run in mm-hmm. every single game. And it's frustrating because you, you can't – this is the NBA. You give a team just a crack, they're going to bust through that door. And momentum can – I mean, it's gone in the bat of an eye. And sometimes it's hard to get back. Portland, I feel – like they're just not taking these games as seriously as they should. And I don't mean they're not trying. They definitely are. But in the playoffs, you hear people talk about they value every possession. Every every point matters. Every every time down the court, you need to treat it like your last. Mm. Newsflash, you got to do that in the regular season too because if you don't, you're not going to end up with the seed you want. Or you might find yourself in the, in the lotto. So I know you can't play at that intensity for 82 games. I know that's completely unrealistic, but – the carelessness at what we do with the ball is it's kind of absurd and it's really sloppy passes, especially on the dribble uh, handoffs. Um, a lot of our turnovers happen out on the perimeter, which should usually be the easiest, easiest entry pass. But Sage, what can we do to tighten those? Do you think it's just mentally or do you think it's just like mental? They're not focused or just what do you think it is? Whew, that's a pretty tough question. Um, I think it's a little bit of trying to be a little too cool and then mentally not just being doing lazy passes. I don't know what they're doing. God damn it, you stumped me. I mean, to be fair, it doesn't look like we're the only team that's having this issue. We average 15 turnovers per game. That's uh, the 14th most, which surprised me. That's like... There are a lot of teams. Like, the Lakers are at 17-9. That's the leader. So... A lot of teams are turning the ball over a lot. You look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are out to a 6-1 and one start. They are um, fifth in the league in turnovers at 17.1. The Warriors. 16. Well, they've always been sloppy. Exactly. The way they but they play. do a lot of bullshit. Like, like behind-the-back passes in Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. Yeah, I was trying to... I am fucking up with words today. They do a lot of fancy shit. A lot of flashy passes that... Like that, the behind-the-back pass that... I, I'm actually very surprised at how sloppy a lot of teams are. What's the... who's Who has the least amount of turnovers per game? 
I mean, it's really no surprise that the it's the usual suspects. You got the Hornets who are at eleven to seven, Spurs twelve point one, Raptors twelve point two, Utah's up in the top six, Clippers um, right behind them. I mean, just the teams that you would expect to take care of the basketball, they're taking care of the basketball. And with the league, like obviously you have the Warriors and the Spur or the Warriors and, and the Cavaliers. They are the, the upper echelon. But everybody else, I feel like, outside of no offense, the Pelicans and the 76ers right now, it, it's there's 26 teams that are very, very competitive. Uh fuck, you have the Lakers that are four and three. Uh the Rockets are four and three. The Magics are, I believe, are like three and three. You have all these teams that are just jumbled up. I know it's early in the season, and you're probably going to see that, but it feels like there are so many competitive teams that you can't just go into an arena and say, "Oh, we're going to beat this team." Mm-hmm. You're going to have to play at least a B, a B plus game to get out of there with a victory, uh, especially on the road. So you have to take care of the ball. So long story short. Quit playing sloppy. Just take care of the ball a little bit more. Let's get guys like Dame and CJ uh, extra shots. That's definitely going to get us more victories. The more shots we get, the better chance we have at winning. Mm-hmm. So that was the Phoenix game. There's probably more to touch on, but, I mean, when you lose on a shot like that, you kind of have to shrug your shoulders. Eric Bledsoe's not a shooter. He misses a lot of free throws. In Portland, I think has been. I think I saw the stat. We were four and fourteen in our last eighteen in Phoenix. I believe I sh- saw that on on the Blazer broadcast. It doesn't surprise me. Um, had we been more competitive against Golden State, I wouldn't have been so upset with that Phoenix loss. But coming did uh, off of, Booker play well? No, it was CJ Warren, right? Yes, so that's another reason why that game was a little bit tough to swallow. Guess because who's had two straight uh, career highs in the last two games? CJ Warren, Booker. He's at yep. 39 and like 40, I think 37 and 39 in the last two games. So he only had 15 on 15 shots. Um, it was Warren with 27 and Bledsoe with 20. And you really, you cannot give up 118 points to the Phoenix Suns. And Alex Lund's not going to play this well in Portland. I, I mean, we're just. I mean, if, if we let him have his way, sure he will. You have <laughs> to take him. You cannot let him feast down low, and that's what we that's what we do. We let teams live in the paint, and we got to start protecting that. And I know we don't have the the personnel to really lock it down, but I think with help from the guards, maybe double teaming a little bit. You, sometimes it's getting better at just boxing out. Mm-hmm. It's taking a chance and and uh, putting our hands up and playing the passing lanes. Just little things like that that can that can make the difference between like like we said last podcast. Instead of being like 10th in in defense, you're now 8th. Or, you know, from 17th to 13th. It just, it's a it, couple. It, it's possessions. There. It's just one or two possessions a quarter. Really. This, this is not a Portland statistic, but remember when the New Orleans Hornets took, were, uh, it, when they made it to the semifinals against the Spurs? Yes. The only thing, if you look at the statistics, the only thing that they did that was different from the last year was they had less fouls per game and went from the 15th ranked defense to a top five. So improving in one statistical category could really benefit the Blazers on defense and make this uh, podcast a lot more listenable because we wouldn't be bitching about the Blazers' defense every episode. All right, that's enough from from that game. Let's move on and talk about something a little bit more happier. 
Uh, Damian fucking Lillard. The Blazers go into Dallas. Dallas was winless at the time, and they beat Mavericks 105-95. to I know Dirk didn't play in the second half. Bogut was out. Devin Harris was out. But when you're playing a winless team, especially in the front of their home fans, that can be just as hard as playing the Warriors because they don't want to start the season 0-6. They don't want to go 0-7, and then all of a sudden your season's over. Uh, so they're fighting maybe even harder than the best team would. So that's when you're watching the game. You're like, yes, we're so much better than these guys. What's going on? Naturally, they want the game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But what I loved most was Damian Lillard just taking over that game. Uh, you want to talk about what an MVP candidate is? It's Dame. Because that third quarter was maybe some of his most brilliant basketball I've seen him play, whether it was pulling up from the logo, just back-to-back, just splashes, or he was driving right by Wesley Matthews like he was a fucking traffic cone. I mean, Wesley's supposed to be a good defender. It, he just zoomed right by him and just get to the cup. Like, and they there's had no one to deter him. him. It was like Dwight Powell. For him. Dwight Powell and Dirk for the first half. I mean, Dame had 42 on 18 shots. Let that sink in. 18 shots to get 42 points. Um, what I'm loving most about Lillard, though, he is getting to that foul line like mm-hmm. superstars do. That has been – I don't think Portland's had a guy get to the line like this ever. You know, Drexler got to the line a little bit, but we've always lacked that guy that when we need to get to the line, we couldn't call on anybody. But Dame has been – and I can't think of another Blazer who had such a huge leap because we always used to complain that Dame would never get the call. He wasn't shooting enough free throws like like a Harden or a Carmelo. But all of a sudden this year, he has just been more aggressive. I don't think he's settling for the jump shot as much, which was a pretty big complaint of ours last year during this podcast. We would see him sometimes just walk up and throw up a bad shot um, out of rhythm. He's really looking to get to that lane, and he is – incredible at finishing in traffic. So is he getting like eight or nine uh, free throw attempts a game now? Or is it more? Damian Lillard is sixth in the NBA in free throws a game. He's getting 10, 9.9. James Harden, Anthony Davis? James Harden is .4, 10.3. So yes, he's, yep, Anthony Davis is second, 12.3. Cousins, 11.6. Russ, 11.3. I'm not going to count Gordon Hayward because via ESPN in his the, one the game one play, game, yeah. He had 14. So technically, Dame is fifth in the NBA. That, that, that's what you need. That's a lot of fruit. That's going to the line, stopping the clock, all those benefits. And he's yeah. making them at a very high percentage. Yeah, people want to know how the Rockets made it to the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago. James Harden getting to the foul line. When you can score with the clock stopped and get the other team out of rhythm and just get easy buckets, get you in rhythm, let your defense set, give the players a little bit of break, and you're doing that constantly throughout the game, that is extremely tough to beat as an opponent because you could go down and just make a couple great shots and all you're doing is fouling them on the other end. Mm-hmm. Two points is two points no matter how you get it. And for Dame to get 10 attempts, he's at least he's uh, he's a 90% of the line. So you know that's just two, you're giving him two points. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's pretty much automatic. That's what Portland needs, especially when – Early on this season, a lot of players are struggling and they're trying to get Evan Turner working to that offense. You need easy points. And for the longest time, we had not been able to get that. 
hell, we still don't have a true post option. And we really rarely run any sets with anybody inside the paint. It's a beautiful thing to see him get into that line and at least giving us, because free throws to me are similar to paint points. Most of the time you can get them because you're going to the hole. When you're attacking. It's nice to see us add points at the line, which, you know, Dame should. He's a true superstar in this NBA and this league. So we could talk about Dame probably for the rest of this podcast, but watching that Dallas game, Sage, what else stood out to you? J.J. Barea hitting a bunch of threes. Or like a... I, I just get upset with the defense, but... But I'll live with J.J. Barea taking eight threes. They were not... A couple of them were open, but I'll live with J.J. Barea shooting threes. What bugs me is the officials continuing to fall for his shenanigans. Whether it's the flops or just he armbarred, it was either Plumley or Leonard, and just was holding on for dear life, and they called the offensive foul. I, I don't understand how an NBA official who has seen this guy for the past decade doesn't know he's pulling some shit. I like, mean, use your fucking brain. That's the tricks of the trade, though, man. You gotta... No, like, Anderson Varejao last year in the finals finally got called on his bullshit. The referees weren't buying it. They need to start doing it with Brea because that's all he does. He's not a good defender. He just flops. He's small, so it looks like when you barely touch him, he falls down like a bag of bricks. <laughs> and it's, it makes it, – honestly, it takes a little way a lot of the integrity from the game. It's like just play basketball. Don't, don't try to cheat the system. This isn't – and I think they took a big step against Dallas because had they lost against the Mavericks, you're looking at two and four, a game against the Grizz, and – what else can you do? Mo Harkless that we we mentioned spoke up. You know the usual soft usual soft spoken Mo speaking up in front of the team. You know what can you do from there? Players only meeting. Like it's early in the season, and I I, I get that. But if a tone is set early on, or if it snowballs too much and gets out of hand, you don't want to go into an eighty two game season and start to have to claw yourself out. Like you don't want to start. You know two feet already in a hole. You want to get. On you want to get on the ground and run. You want to go uphill. Especially when the Jazz were dealing with it, are still dealing with injury issues. So we, you have to take advantage of them being hurt. Because I believe Alec Burks is still injured. Yeah, he's yeah. out for a while. So, I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not full strength yet. So you had, you had to take the time that Hayward and Burks are out and get wins, get dubs. So if that was the, if we took an L in Dallas, it would have been it would have not been the best way to start the year. And what really kept Dallas in that game, and we just talked about it, was turnovers. I, I you look at the, the box score, it says you know just fourteen turnovers for Portland, thirteen to Dallas. Like oh that's not too bad. They're pretty much cancel each other out. But then you go and look at the points off turnovers. Dallas capitalized on it, getting. Uh, 20 points. Portland didn't. They only got six points off of those 13. Jesus. Was it a lot of, like, did Dallas turn the ball over and then it was just out of bounds or something? I can't remember. I, 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 do, yeah, it's, it's, I do remember most of Portland's turnovers. Uh, Crab and Turner were uh, credited for seven of the 14 turnovers, and a lot of those were dribbling, dribbling off your foot, dribbling into traffic. Uh, making passes that can't get through windows against NBA defenders. And usually when those things happen, it's a it's a motion turnover. Mm-hmm. You're going the other way. Yep. It's not like it is out of bounds. It's not like it is a charge. Uh, it's not like the defense gets a chance to get set. It's in the action and in the flow of the game. 
and it's really hard to play transition defense, especially on the road. That's why Dallas was able to stay in, stay in the game. And quite frankly, it's pretty incredible that Portland was able to walk away with a 10-point victory. But Dame saved us. Dame saved us. He completely saved us. I'm looking back at my notes, and I wrote down there's a key moment. Dallas cut a 16-point lead to one in the second half. Dame returns, calmly hits two back-to-back mid-range jump shots, keeps them at bay. That took all of the life out of the arena. And we were able to use that momentum and ease to uh, a 10-point victory. But as much as Dame played a role, I think we got to also give credit to Mason Plumley, who probably prior to the Memphis Grizzly game has had been the second best trailblazer. If we're being without honest. a doubt, I was before the Memphis game. I was telling my mom, "Yeah, CJ has been playing pretty awful this year. Mace has been our second best player, and then mm-hmm. CJ." shows out and plays really well, I guess I just have to badmouth him to my mom and he'll put up some career-high numbers. Because Plumley definitely took advantage of Bogut being out. He had 19 points on just nine shots. He filled up the stat line. It's amazing. Four boards, four assists, four steals, one block. That's really incredible for your center to have mm-hmm. that type of a line. And I really thought he did an amazing job of facilitating the offense. When Dallas decided to double team late in that game, a lot of big men probably would have freaked out and either walked to the basketball, just stood there and waited for the the defense to swarm them or or made a bad pass. Plumlee has the ability to put the ball on the floor and create for his team. And whether or not you think he's a good interior defender or all of the things he can't do, there are certain things he can do that are unique for his skill set. And he provides something that most NBA teams don't have. So, you know, appreciate Plumlee while we have him. Again, I know I haven't been the biggest Plumlee fan, but the start of the season has warmed me up to him. And if he could just become more consistent with his free throws, I know we became a better outside jump shooter. Then we might start talking, let's keep Plumlee long-term. But those free throws got to come, and I still want to see, with his athleticism, he needs to be a better shot blocker. So that was the Dallas game. Another interesting thing Shabazz Napier finally got some early run, um, and he had a big buzzer-beating three to end the first quarter. Didn't CJ get into early foul trouble? Yes, he had five personal fouls. But I think it was more to do with the way the bench wasn't producing. Um, The bench, again, gets outscored 31-14. to I know when you have a starter get 42 points, your bench probably isn't going to score a whole lot of points when you consider there's about 100 to 110 allocated each game. Regardless, we spent a lot of money on the bench. They should be performing a little bit better. I, for one, was an advocate of giving Shabazz more run. Had Turner and Crab and you know CJ that that I know CJ's a starter, but that bench unit they just weren't getting it done. And Napier is a traditional ball handler. Turner can handle the ball. CJ can handle the ball. It comes natural, I think, to Napier as a true point guard. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see more Napier spread out and sprinkled in throughout the course of the season because the guy can play and he's really been the best. I know we've had Tim Frazier and we've had Brian Roberts. He's been, I think, in this role, the most capable of, of scoring. And Tim Frazier, baby. Tim Frazier needs a lot of minutes to get it done. I've seen him next <laughs> in small moments, but no. He's a diamond in the rough of NBA scrap heap players. Damn it. 
but I wouldn't mind seeing Napier playing more, and I also wouldn't mind Stotts if. So if who, the, who does Shabazz's minutes? Ta- who does he take the minutes from? Et. If, if Crabber Turner aren't aren't playing well, or CJ's not running the show very good at point, put a Napier with with either two of those three guys, and let's see what happens. I mean, this is why in the preview podcast we said Coach Stotts has the ability to take this team to an elite level by his. You know his magicianism. I don't know if that's you know he he's he's the chemist. Mm. He knows the right formula, and maybe it's Shabazz here or it's Shabazz there. And I'm not saying he's going to solve all of our bench problems, but we've seen seven games worth of pretty bad bench play. Utah opening night amazing. Every time else, it's been kind of crappy. Mm. I mean, let's. I mean, I know points, um, bench points is an easy metric to go off of, but you can't necessarily. Um, use that as a benchmark because I was reading uh, Sports 2 and I think uh, a poster was boob no more. Uh, <laughs> I believe mentioned that when you're looking at bench points, you got to also look at starters points. And mm. We'll get to the Memphis game, but we got outscored again like 41-11 to the bench. But he made the point that we outscored their starters by 36 points. So you can't really have your cake and eat it too. So what I want to just see from the bench is just an overall better flow to the offense. It looks like they just bog down and they have no idea what they're doing out there. Hence, the team goes to shit when Dane goes off the floor. Also, I think I need to see a little bit more defense from 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 the second unit. I mean, defense overall is is not an issue, a big issue, but I think it needs to be better. I think it can be better. I think we're starting to see improvements on the defense, but the second unit that should that should Energy and defense, that should always be there every single game, home or road. That should always travel. You know, shooting can be sporadic here and there, but those two things mm-hmm. need to happen. I, I just, I've seen the second unit be really selfish. And then when they're selfish, it's like a five-minute drought where the opposing team almost always keeps up with us. Because if we can't play defense and can't score, that second unit the opposing team seven units get a score. See, I think what you see as selfish, I see as a team, a second unit trying to do it all themselves. And, and, and I mean that in that team way, like, oh, we're struggling to get bench points. I'll, I'll put the cape on. I'll go and do it. And you have all these guys trying to do it, and they're kind of butting heads and running around, you know, with blindfolds on. They're running into each other. There's bad spacing. There's no plays being run. You've got Myers or Ed Davis holding the ball out in the perimeter with like five seconds on the shot clock. Like, what do you do? Uh, I think they they just need a little bit more time. I don't know how much time you really can give them before you start to say this isn't working, but I think we should at least get through November. I know it's frustrating. I've been frustrated watching the second unit, but we saw things in the Memphis game that we touched on earlier that really helped Portland win this game. It was a 194 victory against the Grizzlies, and I thought Myers played well. His stat line is not going to wow anybody. He had three points. He had a board. He had an assist. He only played 11 minutes, but I still think he did a good job defensively. We mentioned last week that this was a Myers game. This, mm. The Memphis Grizzlies are tailor-made for Myers Leonard to play. They like to give the ball to their bigs, and just pound and pound. Marcus Hall looked very good that game. Marcus Hall looked good, and I actually wanted Myers in there more to guard Marcus Hall because I thought Myers did a better job than Mason Plumley. I thought Myers did a better job than Ed Davis on Zach Randolph. 
Mm. I mean, it's just body types. Marcus Saul's thick. Mason Plumlee's pretty skinny. It's not a good matchup when Marcus Saul loves posting players up to put uh, a lanky guy. How would you describe Mason as a compared to Mark? Wiry. A wiry guy. I, I think you needed a bigger base, more mass to go against Marcus Gasol in the post. That's how Marcus Gasol was scoring in the post. He was lumbering in, and he was just doing that rolling thunder like Sabonis used to do. He just, moves like a fucking zombie. Here's what I find interesting, and I'm going to be pretty pissed off if I'm a Grizzlies fan. Randolph was eaten. Mm-hmm. He was, we were not sending the double team. He only plays 20 minutes, and they take him out to go with their starters. Zach had 15 points on 11 shots, uh, 7 boards, and... He was a, a plus seven. He was their highest plus minus. They take him out, and I think they did a Blazers a huge solid because I don't know. I know they want to do space and pace, but Jamichael Green does not instill one ounce of fear into me as a Blazer fan. When he was shooting threes, I was like, thank you, Lord. Keep shooting him. I, I will disagree with you because I've watched the Grizzlies, but he is their best shooter in the starting lineup. Please, I want him to shoot every time down the court, Sage. If it's him or are you talking about – I'd rather have him shoot than Mike Conley, Marcus Gasol, Zach Randolph. I know Chandler Parsons was 0 of 8. Maybe that night I'd rather have Chandler shooting, but once Chandler gets it going, Tony Allen's probably the only one I'm like, okay, shoot more than Jermichael Green. I'm sure Jermichael can make some shots, but when you're when you're getting that beat up down low, mm. what are you doing? Like, I think the Memphis coach was pretty – he helped as much as CJ's, you know, tied career high thirty seven helped us. That Memphis coach did us a huge favor by taking out Randolph. No, it's the guy from Miami Heat, the assistant coach. Forgot his name. Whatever. Um, no, but Jermichael uh, Green, athletically and defensively, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I think he's another one of your Jeremy Grant man crushes that are just <laughs> no. Jermichael is not anywhere near the Jeremy Grant. Love affair. I'm sure he's decent, but from what I saw, I would have rolled with Zach Randolph. That, oh, that, that game for sure. Zach had it cooking, and we were not doubling. Sage, why don't we double team? Mm. I, I can't think of the life of me why we don't, especially mm. when the guy gets going like that. It's the same question we've asked. Did, okay, I did not watch this team as much in the little Marcus uh, years. Did they send the double team when it was the Terry Stotts with Robo, Lamarcus? Okay, no. okay. Terry so Stotts I, is a doubler. Terry Stotts has never been a doubler. So it's just a, it's a scheme thing. And what's frustrating is because from time to time I'll go back and I'll go to YouTube and I'll watch a few old Blazer games. I watched uh, recently the '91 Blazers Sonics game one. Portland was so athletic. And they were so long with, with Kersey and Cliff and Buck. Buck could man up anybody. So you don't need to double on Buck. But if they got maybe like a Ricky Pierce got onto, onto Terry Porter, he's a big guard, we would just, you know, send a double. Or just act like you're going to send a double. Make, make, them, make, make a non-passer pass the ball and use your length and athleticism to tip it away. This Blazer team has their, – their prototypical good – they should be a good defensive team. They have a length. They have size, they have speed, they have depth, they have youth. They have everything you want. They're all smart basketball players. I think the scheme is really holding them back. Um, what what really upset me, and I knew we were in for a tough night, is when uh, Brooke, Brooke Olsen Dam 
the Blazers sideline reporter was doing the pregame show and inter- interviewing Terry Stotts and was, and was asking him about the Memphis Grizzlies, how they had been turning the ball over uncharacteristically of late. And would the Blazers take any risks to enhance that number for Memphis? You know his answer was no, we're going to play our defense. And I just rolled my eyes because if you've got a team that's not really a good distributing team outside of Mike Conley and they're already coughing the ball up, you need to keep doing whatever you can to force more turnovers, especially in the grindhouse. You can't let Memphis get comfortable. And I, I feel like we're a little bit lucky we, we walked out of Memphis with, with that oh, six I point. totally thought we were going to lose. I mean, when Arkansas it went, was playing that good, and I was like, oh, this isn't a good one for us. Tony Allen hits threes. I was like, oh, shit. Zach yeah. Randolph hits three. They went up 61-51. to 51. I was like, I'm going to keep the game on, but I'm going to go make some corn dogs. How the fuck do you make corn dogs? You don't get frozen corn dogs and just put them in the oven? Obviously not. <laughs> like I'm just corn dogs, and you know what? Corn dogs plus rally kitty equals big road victory for the Blazers. Yeah, man. Thank God for CJ's 37. I told you when you showed me your DFS lineup, I said... Why don't you have CJ on your roster? He loves playing Memphis. Well, then I told you because it was an early one and I did the main slate. <laughs> That's not you, boo. No, they weren't an option. I would have. How is how can you play daily fantasy in a, a big game between two Western Conference playoff contenders or is not on? Because there was the early slate and the main slate, and the main slate is later in the day so I can make changes. If I, someone got hurt, I couldn't make a change. I'm shaking my head so much right now. You've got to pick CJ McCollum. He wasn't available to be picked, though. He had his breakout game. I know that I'm really happy. No one had him. 37 points, 13 of 23 shooting, 6 of 12 from deep, 4 boards, 2 assists, a steal, and a block. What? That was the CJ. Mm. I mean, I I think that's going to get CJ going because he was cooking. And he was getting to the whole... The threes. Sage, he brought us back. Those threes and that one on Parsons. Ah, just I'm still I'm envisioning it right now. He looked like he looked like an all-star. Yeah. He looked like that most improved player we saw from last year. And he looked like the player everyone was saying in training camp looked like the best player on the floor. I don't believe that. What do you uh, think CJ needs to do moving forward to keep that? Keep that momentum going because with he he and Dame are the highest scoring backcourt in the league right now. We ride as they go. Mm. I think what that, can I think we have to make a point to get him shots, especially in the second unit. A lot of teams in that second unit will do their best at ball denial to CJ McCollum. So what we have to do is think of creative ways to get him the ball in shots that he prefers, and then let him shoot. I think it's getting him the ball early and often. And we've talked about this, or excuse me, analysts have talked about this with with superstars like Michael and Kobe, how they would specifically look to get their teammates involved early on. Damian is a type of scorer, maybe not his career-wise with Michael and Kobe, but what he's doing now, we could arguably say he's having that type of year scoring the basketball. We know Damian can flip that switch and score at will whenever he wants to. I don't think CJ's at that level quite yet. So I would look to get CJ going. And once CJ gets his rhythm, then maybe you've got Mo and Aminu getting wide open threes because they're cooking. 
and then Dame can come in and reap the, the reward. In the fourth. So what CP3 does is in the first quarter, he gets those bigs involved and the wings in the second and third. So they'll run with him in the fourth when he gets his sh- shot. I think what the Blazers need to do is make sure CJ is involved in the first, get some oops, some lobs, some pick and roll with Mace. Just make sure everybody's involved and then Dame just takes over in the fourth. Because if, if we get CJ involved and he puts up good numbers, it takes a lot of pressure off Dame to just play, just to save us in the fourth quarter like he has this entire season. I mean, they combined for 56 points. They combined to go 16 of 17 from the foul line. We're not going to lose many games when they mm. put up those numbers. But, again, most impressively about Damian Lillard's game, might have been the best defensive performance I've seen him play. I thought he really, really made a, a, a conscious effort to fight around those screens. Uh, he was making Conley work. Conley usually torches us. He was just 5 of 11 for 16 points. Um, yeah, he had seven assists and four rebounds, but I mean, that's just, that's a, probably you look at Conley and what he's done so far early in the year. That's a poor game for Conley. Conley has been playing extremely well this year. Conley, I believe, what was he shooting? He was shooting an incredible percentage from three. three, Yeah. And he was one of five. Uh, Dame even got a couple of offensive fouls because he fought through those screens so well. And he made Mike play, um, Defense on the other end. I, I just thought that was the best game from Dame. You could see it in his. You could just see it when you watched him. The effort he was putting into it. And make no mistake about it, that's not easy to do. You can't just say you should always play with that much effort. It, it takes a lot of conditioning. It takes a lot of will. You're tired as shit after games like that. And for him to play 33 minutes and still try to guard Memphis's best mm-hmm. player, uh, for all of they didn't try to hide Dame. Memphis tried to hide Mike Conley and put Mo Harkless on him early. And Mo, Mo, fuck, Mo bullied him. And I love that. If teams are going to disrespect Mo like that, we need to go to the hole every time. Just throw that over the top and, and get Mo easy buckets. But mm-hmm. I, I think this is where Dame is taking his game to the next level. One, finishing in traffic. Two, living at the foul line. And three, improving his defense. He put, put four rebounding more consistently. Four rebounds. There you go. Damien Lillard, a candidate we all can get behind. Please go out and vote. Yes, we are recording this. It is 1014 uh, on election eve. If you haven't done so, and you probably, I don't know if you'll hear this in time, but just the sentiment is out there. We're saying it to the world. Please vote. Please vote. Ugh. You voted, right? Oh, yeah. I made sure my mom and dad voted, too. Olga did. We, we good. We yeah. good in this household. Yeah, I, I did as well. So Portland goes 2-2 two and two over the course of the four games. They are 4-3 and three in the Western Conference. What are you more surprised about? Their 1-2 home record or their 3-1 and one record on the road? Home. It, the fan base in Portland is, is fantastic. I agree. I, you look at those road games, and you probably—it's a—it's a bitch to flat trust. As a person who has rooted against the Blazers in the past, and I'm reformed. I'll root for them seventy a lot, most games, probably every game this year. The fan base in Portland is fantastic, so the fact that they're one and three is pretty surprising because of the home one and two. 
There you go. <laughs> there were numbers. I got confused. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the home, the home record is more surprising than the away record. All right, Sage. But didn't we play the team in Southern California or the Bay Area? And then who were the other home losses? Uh, Clippers. Yeah, they're good, too. So, But we should beat the Clippers. I'm still a little bit upset about that game. Or we look ahead to the week that will be in Rip City. Another four-game docket is on is on our plates. Let's answer the one fan question that we do have. It is from Reed Miller, at Reed Miller Time on Twitter. He did mention this to us and Dane Carbaugh. We were going to have Dane on the podcast. I had a long day at work. Left the office a little bit late. Uh, didn't work with Dane's schedule, so I think we're going to have him on next week. Uh, for those of you tuning in being like, where's Dane? Where's his amazing breakdowns? They're coming. You'll have to listen to us ramble on for this episode, but they're coming. Uh, Reed had a question, and it involves a trade. I mean, I love trades. It's never Huzzah! Too trade talks! Never too early to talk trades or fire up that ESPN trade machine. He says, who would be a better fit and who is more realistic, Rudy Gay or Nerlens Noel? Will the Blazers target either? I've got a take on this, but I'm going to pass it off to you, Sage. I think the more attainable is Nerlens Noel, and the more time we wait, the more attainable he can get. I Why do you say that? The 76ers are blessed with way too many bigs for how many minutes are allotted to, for bigs. So I think as they get more desperate to move one, their asking price will go down. So if we wait them out, we could get some. I don't particularly want Nerlens Noel because he's so one-dimensional because he, he, he is not a good offensive player. But he's a great defensive. He's, he has a lot of things that potentially would help us a lot. But it'd be four and five on defense, and I don't really want to put us through that. Uh, I don't know. Rudy Gay's been killing it in Sacramento. I don't want Rudy Gay on my team, so I'm not even thinking about that. That's a tough question because I don't think either is a terrible fit. Obviously, we need defense with, with Nerlens, and he's young enough and athletic enough that you can find ways to get him the basketball. I look at a guy like Buck Williams the Blazers had. We never ran a single play for Buck, but he always ended up with 10, 12 points a night because he crashed the glass. He knew when the guys were cut into the basket or you know driving to the basket, he made himself available. They would dish it off to him, um, and he was decent, decent at the foul line. So there's ways for Nerlens to score. Pick and Rudy's, roll, alley-oops. Yep, alley-oops. We don't throw that many, but... DeAndre, like, you could throw him up to him. He'll go get him. Um, I don't think Rudy Gay would be the worst fit just because we really do need a, a legitimate third score. It's nice that Mo has his moments and AC has his moments, um, Mace has his moments. We We still need a consistent third score, and I think Rudy Gay would provide that um, again, you're not getting much more than just offense with Rudy Gay. No, you're not getting more than scoring with Rudy Gay. Okay, more than scoring with Rudy Gay. Uh, I don't know if the Blazers will target either. I think they might actually have bigger bigger aspirations than than, than so those two. So who are the people that you think who you're wanting to be in the Blazers uniform? Who are some of those players? And obviously, these are probably pretty unrealistic. But if I'm Neil O'Shea, I'm waiting to see how bad things go in Indianapolis right now. You've got Paul George already calling out the the front office and the coaching staff that everything's gone to hell. Mm, who predicted that a few weeks ago? 
they haven't started out the way they wanted to. Um, but again, this is Paul George speak. He's also bitched about being a four last year. Things turned out pretty well for him. Uh, I don't think the NBA 2K17 cover boy is going to get moved, although I would wait for him. You've also got a guy like DeMarcus Cousins, who the Kings have to trade sooner or later. It's just it's a fact. He's going to leave in free agency whenever he's a free agent. I believe in 2018. And he's and, on a good contract. It's on a good contract. The, the team is not playing well. They're not even showing signs of life like the Lakers are showing right now. They're not going to make the playoffs. They need to. They need to hit the reset button on that experiment. And Rudy Gay would come in a DeMarcus Cousins package because they want to unload that contract. Yeah, and salary. And I, if, if that was the situation, I would totally take Rudy Gay. But I don't want just Rudy Gay in a trade. It's got You've got to spice that shit up for me because we have so many one-dimensional players, we don't need another. And then we mentioned one Philadelphia big, but I think another one that might make Olshay be a little bit more intrigued is Jaleel Okafor. As we know, Joel Embiid has been absolutely killing it. Three blocks a game. Especially in a minutes restriction, really showing that he should have been the number one pick had he been healthy in the 2014 draft. Did you have him ahead of Wiggins? Because I, I did. I didn't because I was big men in injuries. Uh, mm-hmm. I've okay. been, Fair enough. I'm scared off of that as a Blazer fan. But In that college, t- I thought he was going to – what I saw was – I wanted him. But that 2014 class, I wanted them to be, but then, then the injuries came out. Mm-hmm. Um, that 2014 class was supposed to be hyped. It, it has really been underwhelming so far, so you really don't blame the Sixers for, for swinging it, swinging and uh, taking a swing at the fences with, with Embiid. He's looking good. They also have Sarich. They have Ben Simmons coming down the pipeline. They could use some guard help in the worst way. I think Okafor has to be the odd man out. I know he doesn't play a lot of great defense, but at the end of the day, he can get buckets. Mm-hmm. And he can get points in the paint. Something Portland desperately needs. We so need a, a if low we trade point. for Jaleel, is Mace gone? I don't I, think Philadelphia wants Mace. One, I don't think Philadelphia wants Mace. I don't necessarily think so. I think Mace is a, a really valuable if, if Ma- We could have what I've been saying with start Mace and have Jaleel go as the third big. I'd be totally cool with that. But I think Philadelphia will want more for Jaleel the neural is just based on... Oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I think Okafor has the higher trade value. I don't know if we have exactly what Philadelphia wants right now. It has guy... to be a package of, of Alan Crabb and probably a few picks, right? Alan Crabb picks. I think a guy like Aminu is very valuable around the league with his contract, his ability to be a leader in the locker room, uh, the 3 and D aspect that he has, the ability to bring on any given night. Um, we have a lot of players that I think once they start picking up their play, their value is going to go up. Mm. And also this is really premature because guys like Alan Crabb can't be traded until January 15th due to the restricted free agency. Um, I, I'm not saying a trade is going to happen. It's Or if I want a trade to happen, just if we get a question about trades, I'm going to throw in my two cents. I, I, you know who I want? And I, I, oh, Chris Middleton? Oh, he's injured. We can't trade for injured players. Um, I want Vucevic... In that in that third big role, I bet we could get a Orlando scheme at all. Jock Vaughn? No, it's uh, who's the indie coach? Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel. He doesn't fit that scheme at all. They he probably wants Bismack and Serge Ibaka to be his big rotation. So I, I would I, I would ask about Luce 
And I wouldn't mind. It would depend on the asking price, though. So this, I, this I, is the thing. It's a low post option. Portland, that needs to be. Mm. I don't think you can win without having somebody who can get buckets in the post. And Golden State's an anomaly. You can't have the greatest backcourt shooting mm. display of all time and say, oh, Golden State won. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. No. Um, I look at production a lot. Do you think Aaron Gordon and Al Farouk Aminu, production-wise, are very similar? Because both are very uh, inconsistent from three, play pretty damn good defense, rebound really well, hyper-athletic. I mean, I think we can all say Gordon has better dunks, but that yeah. really doesn't matter. I think those two are very similar. So if we trade with Orlando, there's no way they want Chief. But Orlando's such a stupid franchise. Like, I mean, I'm not being they, – they really are. Like, the Baca trade was just ridiculous. Then they signed Biombo, and they already had – Big David. contract. I mean, they just – too many bigs. Like, mm-hmm. too many. Like, spread the wealth. You need Give five. one. Exactly. All right, Sage. We've been we've been just going at it for over an hour already, and we still need to preview this week's slate of games. But before we do so, uh, let's take a quick intermission to talk about our wonderful sponsors. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Warby Parker is offering a free five-day home try-on to give you an opportunity to check out their glasses. Warby Parker keeps their styles highly curated, fashion forward, extremely wearable, while including high quality lenses and coatings at no additional cost. It's everything you need in one easy package for your glasses needs. To get your home try on today, go to warbyparkertrial.com slash holybackboard. Again, that's warbyparkertrial.com slash holybackboard for your free five-day try-on. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. We are about to dive into the week that will be for Rip City. Portland has four games on the slate, and to be honest, all extremely winnable. Uh, Tuesday, election night, keep an eye on the coverage, but also don't uh, don't miss out the Trailblazers. They are playing the Phoenix Suns, all be in attendance, 7 it's, o'clock. Uh, game. They have a tough back-to-back. Yeah, and so Wednesday night to the Clippers, 7.30 game. That's going to be the toughest game of this stretch. But then they get two straight home games to close out the week. Friday the 11th against the Kings. Sunday the 13th against the Nuggets. Sage, let's dive in and let's quickly go through these games. Again, there hasn't been 10 games in. I'm not going to bust out the stats just yet. The sample sizes are just too small. I'll just talk about what I've seen when I've watched them. Let's look at the Suns. Obviously, CJ already knew who we played right after the Memphis game. He was interviewed on on court and was like, we got the Suns. We we owe them, essentially. And I think you're going to look at a determined Blazer team who is going to come out of the gates, and they are going to put their foot down and say, this is not happening. You are not hanging around. You shouldn't have beat us last week. We are taking it out on you tonight. And I think this could be Portland's first blowout victory. I know the Phoenix Suns have given Portland fits, especially early in the season. Booker is shooting like a madman. And yeah, looks... those last two games. Woo. But with that said, I think Port... 
remembers. And I think we are just a better team top to bottom. I like Portland big in this game, but what they have to do, they have to get to the foul line. In that game against the Suns, Phoenix went 25 of 30, Portland 19 of 21. At the time, it was the fourth straight game where an opponent outshot Portland from the foul line. We can't keep fouling teams and letting them hang around. And that's exactly what we did with the Suns. It's exactly what we did against the Nuggets, and that almost bit us in the ass. We have to learn to play defense without fouling. Mm. Did did Alex Len draw a lot of fouls on our bigs? I don't believe so. Mace was not in foul trouble. Okay. A lot of games. Okay. I, th- I think the number one thing is stop Devin Booker, who might be the hottest guard in the league right now. Outside of Dame. Not named Dame. <laughs> well, in these last two games, he's beaten his career high. And really, it seems like he's embracing the role of the villain that teams like to boo. Because he's done like really dirty plays the last two games. The crowd's booed him. And then he goes on to score like 25 points in the second half. So I think it's containing Booker, not letting him get hot at all. It has you have to be in his pocket and box out because we can't let Tyson Chandler get sixteen rebounds against us. Yeah, my X factors rebounds. Portland last year at this point, we were fifth in the NBA in rebounds, or not just overall. We were fifth in the NBA rebounds, forty five and a half. This year, we are 24th, 41.6. Uh, second chance points last year, we were we were fourth. We had 14 second chance points per game. And then this year, we are dead last, 8.9 second chance points. Shout out to my man Sage for those stats. I texted him while I was at work saying, I'm running late. Can you pull up these stats for me? He came through in the clutch. So I can't act like I have all this credit. I got to pass it to Sage. Those are my X factors. I know Booker's going to be huge, but this is a team we should beat on the glass. Chandler's their really their only good rebounding big. Yeah, they have Jared Dudley as their four. We need to pound the hell out of this team on the glass and live in the paint. Mm. Take these guards off the dribble once Chandler's out, or even if Chandler's in, and then you kick out to a shooter. So I really look for. I think this has the makings of a big Mo Harkless and a Minu game. I think if those two can play well. Portland wins because those are guys that are usually helping crash the glass, helping keep offensive rebounds alive. Ed Davis also needs to get on track. Look for look for Ed. Hopefully he has a big night. But this doesn't need to be a Damon CJ show. We should be able to beat this team as a team. And that's what I'm looking for with the Blazers. They did so poorly against the Suns in those categories. Mm. They have to know that was an area of weakness for that game and probably a reason why they lost. I mean so, – Plumlee doesn't have to get the rebounds, but he has to box Tyson out. Because all or, he wants to do is... just sip it. Keep it alive. The longer the ball's alive, the better chance. Pull a Rolo. Rolo didn't get a lot of boards, but he is sure as shit boxed, the, boxed his man out and let the guards, the forwards, get those boards. So keeping Tyson off the boards... They like to run pick and roll a lot. They do a lot of one three pick and roll with Bledsoe and uh, TJ Warren, and then they do a, a one five pick and roll where Tyson just rim runs. So be on the lookout for pick and rolls. Um, 
And if Bledsoe, let Bledsoe shoot. That's the one dude you can just let shoot. Do the Blazers get revenge? Oh, hell yeah. I think yeah, we I, smash them. I got the Blazers big as well. A pissed well. off Blazer team. I think they'll take this one seriously. Which is a perfect transition into the next night against the Clippers because you don't want Dame and CJ logging 40-plus minutes because you're playing a back-to-back against, I think, the hottest team in the NBA, the Los Angeles Clippers. They just went into San Antonio over the weekend and smashed the Spurs 116-92. to They destroyed the Pistons tonight 114-82. They are 6-1 and in the season. Uh, hottest team in the league. And I think it's a team that the Blazers, they don't like the Warriors. I think they straight up hate the Clippers. Mo Harkless was saying he gets up to play them because they're talking a lot of noise pregame. I think they are going to get the Blazers hyped. If Portland wasn't already hyped for this game, I think the Clipper players are going to you know, ignite that switch in the Trailblazers. I don't know how they beat the Pistons so bad, man. This is also the second of three games. So if the Clippers win this game, they have got the series. And therefore, Portland... And, and it's in Los have, Angeles, right? Portland would have to win the division to have any sort of tiebreaker over the Clippers if, if LA wins this game. We are already down 0-1 out of three games this year. I, I, I mean, it's the same shit always with the Clippers. Watch the pick and roll. DeAndre... I think we got a we got a good job against DeAndre. I don't think DeAndre's ever had like multiple monster performances against no, us. No, it's Blake that really had the monster performance against us earlier this year. I think we got to throw Bonley at him. I think we have to throw Chief Bonley isn't, at him. Chief isn't the, Blake Griffin's a top ten player. Blake Griffin's body type is so much more thick, and you can't you can't. Like expect Minu to defend him the entire game. You need to put Vonley on him. He has the lateral quickness to to stay with Blake Griffin, which is going to be a huge factor in this game. I th- I think we can. I think he is the X factor. How we do against Blake will determine well, how I, if we win. I think if we try to play Blake straight up, and if we don't, I don't think it, the Clippers are a team we necessarily want to double, just because they do pass they the have, ball. They oh. have JJ Redick spotting up and all. Oh, they have Jamal Crawford. I mean, they have shooters but, for days. Yeah, and but, most Bates pick and pop. We actually have to close out on him because that's all he wants to do is shoot threes. Most Bates always kills us. Like, can that dude just have a bad game against us for who, once? Who are the who are the weird blazer killers? Like, I think Trey Burke always. Trey Burke was. Um, Nick Van Exel was back in the day. Uh, Tyron Lue used to be a big blazer killer. Um, you know, if I saw him, I, I, I would know. They just. Mm-hmm. Guys, JJ Barea always feels like he has a big game against us, and he sure shit he did. But if I'm looking at an X factor, I think it has to be bench scoring because the Clippers outscored us. It was a huge margin, forty-five to twenty, mm-hmm. and we lose by eight points. That's the game right there. Is is the bench, and you cannot let most Bates get fifteen. Jamal. Jamal got 15, but he got busy at the line. He got eight, eight for eight from the free throw line. So free throws are going to be another big factor. The Clippers shot 46 to our 32. Um, that was the game that was really poorly officiated. Let's see how it's offici- that, officiating. Again, another huge key. If it gets out of hand, are the Blazers going to stay poised? Or are they going to play right into the officials' hands? Because we've seen them do, we've seen them go each way this in the, in the early part of the season. Denver was another way where they, they took the, the more poised, the calm, cool, collective route. They ended up pulling out a, a miraculous victory 
the Clippers definitely got in their heads and they got out of whack, out of whack, out of rhythm. It cost them the game. I believe that was a tie game going into the fourth quarter. I think this is going to be a close game, but until the Blazer bench can really prove to me that they're ready to play, I, I, I just don't think this is a good matchup for Portland at this time. One, the Clippers are rolling. Two, we're incorporating some new pieces, and we're not really flowing outside of Dame, CJ a little bit. I think we have a lose by like 8 or 10. I, I don't have a good feeling about this Clippers game. I kind of agree with you that this is going to be a loss, but I think it'll be closer just because I think these teams legitimately don't like each other. So I think I think it'll be like a five-point loss. All right, moving on from the Clippers, and it would be no shame to lose uh, to the Clippers. It would suck to have two of our first few losses against them, but they are an elite team out west. Portland gets a Friday visit from the Sacramento Kings, the first meeting against the Kings. What's kind of interesting about this week's slate of games is three of the four opponents, Portland's already played in the first seven games, which is pretty incredible. The Kings are the new face in town, and like Memphis, this is a Myers-Leonard game. Absolutely. This is why you re-sign Myers-Leonard is for four fucking times a year, go against DeMarcus. Like, that's your dude. Get him frustrated. Take him, him out of the game. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, Remember Marcus last year when Marcus Cousins. DeMarcus had like 50 and 40 the last the two games he before it? Actually in the playoff hunt. They came mm-hmm. to Portland. I was at that game. Myers took him out of his rhythm like nothing. Yeah, and DeMarcus was so pissy. He talked shit in the game, the, the, the post-interview. He needs to have one of those games where we're like, this is why we signed this dude play against these traditional powerhouse bigs. So this is, this is the matchup we've, we've been wanting to see. So, Myers, please don't let us down this game. Thankfully for the Trailblazers, they get a team coming into the Rose Garden on the second night of a back-to-back. The Kings play at home against the Lakers on TNT, so that is a late 7.30 start, so they probably won't get into the wee hours of the morning. That definitely gives Portland is the Is Rudy Gaines healthy now? He's missed last two. And Omar Caspi's played. I mean, it's going to be, what, five days until we play them? And they also I think have... it was a rib injury. It was a rib injury. That, uh, injury. Yeah, I remember shit. Um, but they have the Pelicans on the 8th and the Lakers on the 10th, so they still have some time. This is a team you still have to watch out for because they're going to lose to shitty teams. But they're also going to beat teams they have no business winning. They went into Toronto and beat the Raptors by five. Um, they've also lost to Orlando and Milwaukee. Um, they barely beat the Timberwolves at home. It's when you have a team that's this bad, but so talented, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're going to get. And traditionally Portland has always played the Kings well at home. I don't have the statistic in front of me at the moment, but I would bet that over the course of the franchises, Portland is at least 80% at home, if not higher against this, against the Sacramento franchise. And I think it all starts with Boogie Cousins. Can you not let him go off? Because other than that, there's not a whole lot of players that scare me. Maybe Ty Lawson a few years ago used to give us fits. He's, he's still not, speedy. That's about it. He's still speedy. But the guy I'm actually worried about is Rudy Gay. Because he did it to us two years ago. I think it was on Halloween. He put up 40 on Nick Batum and the Blazers. And he was the reason they won that game. 
we cannot let him get a big night. Boogie, you expect. You can give him his 25. But I think we need to do a good job on Rudy Gay. I think uh, Mo Harkless is going to draw him early on, and I think that's a good fit for Mo. And if Mo can't do it, we'll put Chief on him. Uh, Chief has slowed down the likes of Paul George. Carmelo. Carmelo. uh, He is a great wing defender. So Portland has multiple options they can throw at Rudy Gay. And what's interesting is the Kings go big. Mm-hmm. They are close to Kufas, DeMarcus Cousins. Willie Colley-Stein right off the bench. Willie Colley-Stein, which was interesting. So, so both Scout, LeVissier, Willie Colley-Stein, and Ben McLemore, and Malachi Richardson, four of their youngest players were DMPs in their last victory. Coaches' decisions. They have, who are their best shooters? Is they, it, do have Matt, they have Matt Barnes. Okay. Aaron, Aaron Flalo is a weird starter for them. I thought he was still on the Knicks. Um, no, they signed him to a pretty big contract. Um, and, like they, and Ben McLemore, if he gets going. So they don't have a lot of shooters, which is why I would be okay doubling bugs. Mm-hmm. Well, do we're not, not going like, to do it. But, but I'm saying <laughs> get him frustrated. As much as I want him on the Blazers, you can still frustrate the shit out of him and you can take him out of his game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they don't. They don't really have a shooter that scares me. Maybe Ty Lawson gets hot because he's just fast. I think it's all about stopping Boogie. But I think it's going to be a W for the Blazers. If they play like they can, this is the exact... This The, the Kings are almost a carbon copy of nuggets? how I think the Nuggets are, yes. And we're going to see the Nuggets later on. And almost how what we said about the Suns game, how Portland just got bullied up front. When Portland goes against bigger front lines, the basis of the game is going to be rebounding. Dame and CJ can get as hot as they want, but if the other team is just getting chippies and getting multiple possessions every time down, we're not going to win the game. We have to rebound, defensive rebound. We have to limit their offensive rebounds. We have to limit their second chance points. Mace has to box out a lot this week. Speaking of Mace, he has to not foul. When we go up against those bigger tandems, we foul a lot, which then if a ref calls a ticky-tack foul, they're already in the penalty, so you're giving away two free points. When you're playing a team like the Kings, you don't want to give them any hope because they are a team that is mentally fragile. If you come out and you're up 10 or 12 after one, they might just pack it in and be like, eh, let's just think about the next game. Think about let's what enjoy I'm going to have. Some, some Portland culture. Uh, even though I do think this is going to be a tough matchup for Portland, it is not like Denver. Uh, Kufus isn't the rebounder that, that the Nuggets have. Cousins is a good rebounder, but he's not hes not an Andre Drummond type re- or DeAndre Jordan where he's going to get just those every board. Like He gets his share, but it's because he just parks his ass down there. I mean, he's, he's a big boy. He's a big boy, and he gets boards, but... I think you can let Cousins get his 22-25, just keep everybody else in check. I think Portland does walk away with the victory. I think this one is going to be closer than most fans are going to want, and but it's going to be just what we need. I think we're going to be coming off a loss to the Clippers. I like us to bounce back. Protect the home court. That's what we have to do on this, this slate of games this week. Protect home court. Starts with Phoenix. Continues with the Kings. I got a victory. My X Factor... Alan Crabb, he seems like he always plays against the Kings well. We need to get AC the basketball. He just doesn't seem like he's uh, getting as much shots as I think he should. I know he, he matched that ridiculous offer that Brooklyn 
sent out to him over the summer. But we have to – right now he looks like Nick Batum in a Nick McMillan offense. Like you watch that Memphis game and he's just standing in the corner, and I, I don't think that's all on him. And I think a lot of that has to do with CJ and Evan and them trying to work it out. Allen's kind of the, the lost man in the shuffle, but it says he's attempted seven – Seven shots on average this year. I swear it feels like it's three. I feel like he shoots a lot one game and then doesn't the next. Yeah, I mean, you look at the games where he's played well. Opening night, Utah, 18 points, 10 shots. Denver, the victory, uh, 12 points, 10 shots. Um, He played well against Phoenix. He had 14 points on nine shots, shot the ball very poorly against the Mavericks, uh, two of nine. But he he goes through stretches where he goes – three of seven against the Clippers, one of two against the Warriors, two of four against the Grizzlies. He is arguably our best shooter. Probably Dame is better, probably CJ's, but Crab is probably in that top top four, top three. We need to run him around like Rip Hamilton used to run around for the Pistons, like Ray Allen used to run around for the Celtics. Like J.J. Redick does. I don't know why. If I was Stotts, I would either have Napier or have Turner up at the key, initiating the offense, and you've got those two running their defenders like Matt, like like crazy off of double double screens, curls, just constant motion. One of those guys is going to get open, mm-hmm. and if they get open, they get hot. If they get hot, then the, the big starts to help, and then you're throwing it over the top to your center or your power forward for an easy layup. I know it's not as easy as that that sounds. I know the offenses and defenses are much more intricate, but that's the basis of the idea. Let's get more movement. Let's get this guy more shots because – He's not just a catch-and-shoot shooter. He can put the ball on the floor and score, and he's also shown the capabilities of passing when, when necessary. And I think Crab has a lot of potential, and I would love to see him get more involved in the offense. So we talk about Ed Davis being a little bit of disappointment. Allen's not a disappointment in the sense of his production. It's disappointing that he's not getting more looks. I want to see more looks from Allen Crab, and I think he's going to get a big, big night against the Kings because they, their perimeter defense is, quite frankly, woeful, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So I've got I've got a victory. I think it's it's going to be closer than the experts think. But uh, I got the Blazers. You got Portland too. Yeah. All right. Well, this isn't as fun when we uh, agree all the time, and we might have a slight disagreement coming up. So the last game is against the Denver Nuggets at home. At home. Okay. On Sunday. That's a factor. It is a 6 p.m. start, Sunday start local time, and we all remember how the first matchup ended. 115-113, Portland scores or makes up an eight-point deficit in 53 seconds, goes into overtime. Dame does it again, the magic, but that's a game where Portland just got obliterated on the glass. Um, Will Barton's out this game. That helps because Will plays well. Will Will is the player that, you know how we mentioned – our bigs getting into foul trouble because we're undersized. Well, when we get into foul trouble, we get to the penalty. Will is the type of player that will take it to the basket and boom, you're yeah, getting a foul. Yeah. And you're already on the penalty. That's where Will was eating. So that's nice to see. I mean, Gary Harris nice. is playing. That's it not nice. A, he's hurt. Don't, but it's nice for the Blazers that we don't have to deal it with. It was Will. a nasty ankle sprain. Is it he going to be all right? Yeah, but it was gross. Okay, as long as he's going to be all right, because I, I love Will, and I wish he was still a trailblazer. For Emmanuel the Blazers, had a fantastic game against the Celtics. They had a 
a pretty surprising victory. Yeah, he had 22 or 24 points in the first quarter, ended with 30, and they won on the road in Boston. So that's a very nice victory. I'll give you credit, Sage. They are much more competitive, and they are a better team than, than I thought they would be. Than I thought they would be. I mean, they are three and three, three and two on the road. They do, however, let's see if they have any games before or when they play before Portland. Would we get them on a back to back? Yes. Very nice. So they play Saturday at home against Detroit at uh, 6 p.m. Portland time. We get them on the second half of back to back. Kings on the second night of a back-to-back. There's no excuse for losing this game. When you're playing potential lottery teams on the second night of a back-to-back while you've had rest, you're at home in front of your home fans. This has to be a win. I know there's no such thing as a must-win game in November, but you've got to beat teams like the Nuggets to keep pace with the Jazz and the Thunder. Mm-hmm. Because this team, and we're going to harp on it over and over, but rebounding is going to win this game. They, they had got beef, man. They had 61 rebounds. I mean, you, that, that that's that's a big number. Usually you see 50s, but 61 rebounds. They're the number one rebounding team in the league. 61 to 45. And, and no surprise because Jokic had 17, six offensive boards. Uh, Nurkic had nine. Kenneth Reed had nine boards. I mean, they had 16 offensive boards to our five. And just think. What's I gave you the information. What's Glazers' average offensive rebound per game? Six? I know they're the lowest. 6.8. So, last year, our offensive rebounds per game, we were fourth. We got 11.6. This year, we are second to fucking last. 6.7. So, Jokic had as many offensive rebounds himself as we do a team. So, Portland needs to figure out this whole grittiness that they had last year. I don't know if they lost a chip on their shoulder, if they thought they were better than they really were. I don't know if it's a scheme. We'll definitely keep our eyes yeah, on that. Yeah, we got to keep our eyes on the offensive rebounding thing. But that's been the biggest surprise. You Rebounding always translates. So when I'm looking at a draft prospect, I don't care their size. I don't care their weight, really, how fast they can run. If you are a dominant rebounder in college, chances are that's going to translate. Translated yeah, I mean, for that, it translated for Kenneth. Of course, I took it you. And back to the Denver game, we dis- we were talking about the rebounds and the big discrepancy there. Points in the paint were actually pretty similar. It was fifty-two to forty-six. But what those rebounds did is it allowed Denver to stay in the game by getting to the foul line. They went thirty-one of thirty-nine to Portland's fifteen of twenty-one. The Blazers actually shot forty-six percent from the field. Denver shot just thirty-eight, and Denver had the game wrapped up. How does that happen when a team shoots, you know, six, eight, six to eight percent better? They were just able to keep possessions alive. They muddled up the game and they really beat us up down low. So that is going to be a reoccurring theme for the Trailblazers over the course of the season as they continue to play small. Is how do they handle when teams go big like that? Because as much as we love Chief and, and Harkless, if they move to the four, they are most of the time always going to be undersized. And it's tough. So th- could this be a Von Lay game? Could this be a game where Ed Davis finally, you know, gets into his rhythm and, and finds his, I don't know, his his Ed Davis. I mean, we just need Ed Davis back. I think he brought that that chip. I think he brought that that fire. I mean, I know when I was at games and Ed Davis would get second chance rebounds, that would be almost as loud as if Dame pulled up from like the logo. Like so, our fans love these hustle plays, and I think that will determine the game. 
And we have four games to discuss this weekend. Heads up, I believe there's four games coming up next week as well. And we all love our Trailblazers. There's never one reason why you win or lose a game. There's a lot of factors that go into it. I think it's going to be another difficult game. Denver played us extremely tough, beat us in the preseason at home, probably should have beaten us in Denver. Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's going to have to be our backcourt. Can Lillard and McCollum carry us? We're probably going to have to get good production from the three-point line because we're Dame can live in the paint. CJ probably can, but we're not going to get much else there. They're going to probably seal that off. I mean, you, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Rebounds, second chance points, free throws. Those all have to go in Portland's favor or at least be somewhat comparable. I do think Portland grinds out a victory. We are at home. They have to play on the second night of a back-to-back. I got the Blazers probably by six points. What do you say, Sage? I, I think the Blazers will also win, but, man, when I was doing the research for you and looking at the discrepancy of rebounds, it's such an important part of basketball to go from the fifth best rebounding team to one of the bottom. There has to be something going on there. So, people, if you I, I ask you to do some homework when you watch those games. See what they do in offensive rebounding situations. Do they run back to set up the defense, or is it just because everyone's getting sealed out for the rebounds? I, I, I think it's a, it'll be fascinating to know what actually happens. I would also almost love it if some journalists would, if they're thinking the same thing we are, maybe ask stats because if I'm writing stories like this, to me, this is the biggest story so far of the season. We were, that's that was where we made our, our, our living. That was our bread and butter was second chance points and offensive rebounds. And that's completely gone away and, when I think about it, it's pretty surprising. We are four and three. We should be much worse when you take away all of that because outside of Dame, that's where we were getting our. That's where we made our name. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, you're thankful you're four and three with being so weak in those categories. On the other hand, those are categories that shouldn't have been decreased this much, this significant, this early on when you've retained all of your bigs. An added one. Speaking of speaking of Festus, before we wrap up this podcast, um, I really hope fans don't have unrealistic expectations that this dude's going to come in and be Dikembe Mutombo and shore up every single interior defensive need that we have. Uh, I think he might be our second best big. I think he's going to be very good, but I don't think he's going to come in and automatically just shut the paint down. It'll be interesting. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely want to see what happens with the rebounding thing. Because, one, we don't know when he's coming back. There's been no timetable. And, two, when he does, it's been a while since he's played, so it's going to take him a while. We might not know what this dude's got until after the new year. So be patient, Rip City. That's all we got to say. Uh, Sage, where can our fans find this podcast at? Google Play, SoundCloud, Apple iTunes. Give us that five-star rating if you fuck with us on iTunes. Subscribe, uh, too. Subscribe. It really helps. Um, sometimes I'm late on getting the promotions out on Facebook and Twitter. Um, my man forgot we are on Stitcher. So at Holy Backboard PDX on Stitcher Shit. and SoundCloud. Uh, if you follow us on social, we are on the gram and we uh, live tweet the games at Holy Backboard. Again, some people have sent us emails. If you feel so 
feel so you know necessary to do so. We're always here to listen uh, at, holy, at holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. Sage, it is 11.02. We are just 58 minutes from Election Day. Uh, let's hope we are all able to record another podcast next week. Because um, <laughs> if, if one option happens, I might be starting um, my new ventures up in Canada. So, again, get out there and vote. Um, just don't vote Trump. I'm going to put it out there. Like like Tory Smith. I'm thank you Tory Smith for for having a voice. You're a professional athlete. It, it really means a lot, especially you got LeBron James, J.R. Smith and endorsing their candidate and in normal years I think it would it wouldn't be as important. I think it is always important, but I don't think we would see publications drawing the line in the sand actually endorsing candidates. I think it's super important this year because it's not, and I know we don't usually talk politics a whole lot on this podcast, but I feel like we need to just bring it up for just a, a couple of seconds here. It's not candidate versus candidate. I think it's almost like a lifestyle. And when somebody says they're voting for Donald Trump, you automatically can assume the, the, the worst in people. And I, and I hate to say that, but if, if I ever found out like a family member voted for Trump, I would never be able to look at them the same just because of the, the closed mindedness, the, the bigotry, the sexism, the racism, the anti-immigration i mean you you go down the list that that's what it stands for and if we lose listeners from this podcast so be it you probably shouldn't have listened to this anyways um just go out there and vote like 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 obama said don't boo just vote if you voted then you can have a right to to bitch or cheer wherever which way you you know you you did your civic duty and i've definitely i forgot to vote in the primary i just it slipped my mind so i made certain that I was able to vote in this election and I know uh, my parents did and my, and my wife did as well. And so just encouraging everyone to go out and vote. Um, I'm actually really thankful there is going to be a blazer game that I'll be in attendance with that way. I'm not glued to the television. I'd probably be losing my mind as most of the East coast States get, get called first and they call them at like 20%, which is incredibly crazy. And I pray to God, we don't have another Gore uh, Bush, Florida debacle like we did in 2000. I hope it's just it's over. It's over quickly. Obviously, I know who I want to win. Um, my partner in crime right here, Sage, we're on the same page there as well. But this is why I love sports. It is a great, great distraction. And uh, I'm thankful that there's basketball that I can watch and that I can come home and, and kind of see what's been going on. Because if, if I didn't have the Blazers, I'd probably be a really much uh, a really big nervous wreck tomorrow. So thank you, Blazers. Uh, it's it's everything. I mean, it's it's not family. It's fucking close, though. Uh, the Evan M show is gonna have their first show in about a month and a half. I think we're just gonna have fun, talk, do dick jokes, shit jokes, have a fun time, and it'll probably be released Wednesday. So uh, I think it's a wrap. Everybody out, everybody out there, go vote. It's really important. It's your civic duty. And go Blazers. Rip City, baby. Let's go! Let's go.